By the way, in case you haven't heard, my brand new book, Feel Good Productivity, is now out. It is available everywhere books are sold, and it's actually hit the New York Times and also the Sunday Times bestseller list. So thank you to everyone who's already got a copy of the book. If you've read the book already, I would love a review on Amazon. And if you haven't yet checked it out, you may like to check it out. It's available in physical format and also ebook and also audiobook everywhere books are sold. Hey friends, how's it going? Welcome back to the Deep Dive Podcast. We are kicking off season two. It's very exciting. We've uh, revamped our studio a little bit. So if you watch season one of the podcast and listen to it, you would have seen kind of the evolution of the studio over time. Anyway, without further ado, uh, let me introduce this podcast episode, which is with Dr. Julie Smith who has written this fantastic book, Why Has Nobody Told Me This Before? Uh, Julie is a clinical psychologist who has over 3 million followers on TikTok and various other social media platforms. And she shares tips about maximizing our mental health and understanding our minds and our brains and how psychology works and that cool stuff like that that helps us live healthier, happier, more productive lives. And in the conversation, we talk a little bit about her success as a creator. How does she go from this kind of having a very normal healthcare type job of being a clinical psychologist to then randomly deciding, you know what, let me stop posting videos on TikTok. We talked about kind of the feelings behind there, the cringe response and like how she got over the fear and how through that decision that she made about two years ago now, she has managed to inspire millions of people and educate people about their mental health in a really cool way. And we also talk about some of the concepts that she talks about in the book, like things like motivation and fear and grief and self-doubt and all these other psychological issues that plague us on a daily basis. And then towards the end of the podcast, we also talk about the idea of living a meaningful life. And that's a topic that I've been thinking a lot about. And I know Julie's thought about it a lot. And we talk about some of the psychological research that's gone into this idea of living a meaningful life. So yeah, hopefully you'll enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Uh, let's go for it. All right. So Julie, welcome to the podcast. How, how are you doing? <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here, actually. Yeah, it should, it should be interesting. So you're, you're a clinical psychologist. Yeah. What, what is a clinical psychologist? Like, what do you, what do, you do? <laughs> sure. So a uh, clinical psychologist, works in uh, well we can work in sort of brain injury and things like that but I worked in mental health so I was providing assessments and psychological therapies to uh, you know in all different kinds of services so I worked in a service that was purely for Ministry of Defence for a while mm. um, doing sort of trauma work and things with veterans um, I worked in inpatient and sort of um, intensive care wards or in crisis teams in the community so lots of different sort of mental health services offering um, you know either very intense support or longer psychological therapies. Okay. And so what, what, what sort of problems were you seeing on a daily basis? In the NHS, um, the sort of more severe and enduring end of, of those problems, uh, you know, all sorts of mental health problems. But once I worked in, I started a small private practice. It was just um, by myself. Uh, and that was more um, uh, people who were sort of functioning on a day-to-day -day basis, working, um, you know, that sort of thing, and but, but struggling with maybe you know grief or a burnout or you know all those sorts of things that that happen uh, more day to day okay um so what's the difference between that and like what a therapist does or is it the same thing so it's, it's a difference in in training so okay. somebody might become a therapist after being uh, maybe a mental health nurse and then they might train in certain therapies for example or do a counseling course yeah. whereas with clinical psychology you start off doing a psychology degree and then you work in mental health for a few years and get your experience do some research that kind of thing and then you train and you do your doctorate so then it's purely in you know psychological therapies and assessment and those sorts of things oh. so it's a training difference really so you have to have a phd to be a clinical psychologist yeah damn yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so you, yeah, yeah. You, you spend a few too many years studying <laughs> and doing yeah which you're used to right um but yeah you so you can train in sort of one or two therapies or as a counselor from any profession okay but um but yeah it's sort of purely 
psychological therapies. So is it, I, I, I know so little about psychological therapy. It's, it's, it's the sort of stuff that kind of we refer people to clinical psychologists, but absolutely no idea what they do. So yeah. uh, apologies if this seems like a dumb question, but is it that like you train in like, like 10 different therapies and then you kind of pick the one that's appropriate for the patient? Like how, yeah. how, does, how, does, how does the training work? Yeah, that's probably the difference you'll find if you, if you sort of choose a, a clinical psychologist over a, a different therapist is they might be specialized in one specific area. Whereas in the, in the, the clinical training you get, you're, you're trained in lots of different therapies depending on which university you go to and yeah. stuff like that. And then you're equipped with those tools so you can, you know, interchange, you know, use different therapies for different problems. And um, yeah. What is a therapy like how 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 have they come up with like the different therapies <laughs> so they, they've all come from from different areas of research yeah. you know and, and there'll be you know sort of um your behavioral era where you know it was all about sort of learning theory and and then you've got sort of other areas of research that looked at the impact of you know your thought processes and and some other bits of research combined those together and and created this thing called CBT that everyone sort of has heard about mm. and really that those kind of therapies are about the link between your thoughts your behaviors your physical state yep. and how you feel okay. and that you can't wake up in the morning and just decide right today I want to feel love and joy mm. you know you can't just sort of directly make them happen but we know that what you feel is so heavily influenced by those other aspects of your experience so yeah. the focus of your attention what you're doing or not doing uh, your physical state those sorts of things so we can use those to then influence how you feel on a day-to-day -day basis so that's the sort of one therapy and there are others that are based on research around you know early life attachment and then adult attachment or um, relationships and those sorts of things so um, you know they all have sort of branched out of different areas of research yeah. and can be used for different problems but often people come along with a whole collection of problems yeah. you know it's not sort of one specific thing probably similar in medicine isn't it yeah. where people come with a whole collection of things going on and they all need um, sort of tackling with different tools so um, yeah so you have like this arsenal of tools and you sort of pick the appropriate one and because you've got enough of a grounding in like the main ones, you can sort of carve your own path through that that's going to help help the, the patient or the, the client or whatever you, yeah. whatever you call it. How scientific is therapy? Uh, well, everything, you know, through my doctorate, everything that we learnt or used had to be evidence-based okay. so you know we were learnt to kind of scrutinize the research and and justify everything that we were doing mm. based on uh, you know research that had been done or when we were doing our own research and things like that so yeah i mean i think there is maybe it's the sort of um the sort of well-being industry that has maybe sort of muddied the waters for people a little bit okay. where there's this then lack of trust because people aren't really sure like you say what is the difference between a psychologist or a counselor or another therapist or you know there is this sort of um people don't necessarily know because they're not told mm. what the difference is and and uh, who to trust or what qualifications to look for and those sorts of things yeah. so there's a real issue there that perhaps could help people you know when they're looking for help because um, often get people asking me those questions you know I've got this this problem or my son or daughter has these problems where do we go who do we look for what sort of therapy are we looking for so I signed up to the school of life therapy program like a few months ago yeah just for the bands like uh, and, <laughs> and, and I mentioned this to my mom so my mom's a psychiatrist and okay. she was like there's no such thing as therapy just for the bands like what are you doing as they, she was like well you know when when you go for therapy you have a specific problem that you want a solution to and then you want to find out what what techniques 
the therapist using? What form of therapy is it? Are they using this or this or that? And I was like, look, man, I don't know. Um, my boy, Alain de Botton, says that everyone should get therapy. And so I'm just going to try it and see what happens. <laughs> where, where do you stand on the spectrum of like therapies for specific targeted problems versus everyone can benefit from therapy? Well, you know, yeah, there is a there is an argument for, um, you know, a, a problem with a specific, you know, targeted set of tools and all that kind of thing. But actually, there's also a lot to be said for building self-awareness and self-reflection. Mm. And and when we don't do a lot of that and we don't build up those skills to look back on things, reflect on things, learn from experiences and use them as we move forward, then we're missing a lot of opportunity for development and growth and sort of self-awareness. So, you know, often people go to therapy when they don't feel there's any other choice. You know, they, they just, yeah. they get to a, a sort of rock bottom or, you know, hit an end point and think, well, I need to work this out now, but it's much harder to dig yourself out of a, a huge hole than, yeah. you know, <laughs> crawl out of a ditch, isn't it? So yeah. it's a sort of, um, you know, it, I, I think go for it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because my, my, my view of this was always that like, uh, even if I have nothing wrong like right now that I don't know of, at, at least let's just, get a, let's just get a little like vibe check. Um, yeah. Kind of like, I don't know, pre pre prevention rather than cure. Yeah, you can only benefit from, yeah. <laughs> from anything you learn from it. And how are you finding it so far? Is it? So I, I, I did like three or four sessions. And in each of those, she was like, okay, so what, what are we talking about today? I was like, well, you know, this thing's on my mind. We kind of talked about it. And after about three or four sessions, I found that like for the subsequent one or two, I was really scraping the bottom of the barrel to figure out what to talk about. And so we ended up stopping the sessions because she was like, well, maybe, you know, you had these things and we've solved them. And so there's no need to keep it, keep it going. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, yeah, does that vibe yeah. with your experience? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes there, when you're sort of not sure what to talk about, you often think you're sort of looking for a problem. There yeah. has to be a problem you're talking about mm. rather than any form of introspection at all or, um, you know, sort of learning about an experience or anything like that. So it's, it's just interesting isn't yeah. it, to be able to, and, and nice that you can go back to it, knowing that you don't need to mm. feel that you're really stuck with a problem before you just look at something and learn from it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I kind of saw it a bit like, so we've, we, we've got a bunch of um, business coaches that are helping with like operations and stuff for the business and I just rock up once a week and they're like, all right, so what's on your mind? Well, we're having kind of this issue with like a team member and then just, just sort of talking through it with someone yeah. is just like enormously helpful. And so therapy kind of felt like a business coach, but for life. <laughs> yeah. Lots of us go through life with a bit of a love-hate relationship with STEM subjects. In theory, the idea of learning how the world works in science and learning how to build websites with computer science is really awesome. But when you're plotting your way through formulas in a science class or trying to understand code, it can be a bit dry and boring. The way I like to learn more about this stuff in a fun and engaging way is with Brilliant, who are kindly sponsoring this episode. Brilliant have a ton of courses that teach maths, science, and computer science with visual examples and interactive challenges along the way so that you can learn by doing. One of my favorite courses in Brilliant is actually the computer science series especially the introduction to algorithms and the fundamentals of programming with Python. I was actually considering applying for computer science rather than medicine at university, and I ended up going down the medicine route, which I don't regret, but I never really understood computer science. And although I knew how to code, I didn't really understand the foundational algorithms and structures behind the field of computer science. So I really enjoyed checking out Brilliant's courses on that. And also their course on cryptocurrency is absolutely sick. And without that course, I really would not have understood how Bitcoin, for example, works. Anyway, if you want to improve your math, science and computer science, then head over to brilliant.org forward slash deep dive. And the first 200 people to sign up via that link will get 20% off the annual subscription to Brilliant. So thank you very much, Brilliant, for sponsoring this video. So you're working as a, as a clinical psychologist in the NHS and for the Ministry of Defense, and then you started the private practice. And now you have 3 million followers on TikTok. Like, yeah. how, how did we get from 
private practice as a clinical psychologist to three million followers on TikTok. What what was the story? Sure. So um, I yeah I, I once I had three children, I realized I couldn't do it all well. You know, I was doing part-time NHS, part-time private, and, and I just couldn't manage it all. So I thought I could, you know, see a few sort of private clients during school hours and manage it really nicely around the children. So I sort of moved into that, that private work. And then during that time, I had all these people coming along and a significant portion of some therapies is quite educational. So you teach people a bit about how their mind works, um, how they can influence their mood and emotions and energy levels or relationships and how they can work out what cycles they're stuck in and that sort of thing. And a lot of people I found once they had that education, they were raring to go. They were empowered by it. And, and there was a lot of, you know, that's why the title of the book is Why Has Nobody Told Me This Before? Because so many people were saying certain versions of that in terms of, you know, how did I not learn this at school? It's not rocket science, but it's really made a difference to my life. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, you know, all of these people were coming along, finding that stuff really helpful. And then I was sort of harping onto my poor husband saying, how is this not available? Mm. You know, why do people have to pay to come and see me to find it out? Because um, it's not therapy skills, it's life skills. It's stuff we could all use and stuff that I use to um, say well as well. So, it, you know, it's, um, I, I was sort of talking about it to him and then he said, well, okay, make it available, do it. You know, put a video on YouTube or something. And um, and so we did, we started to kind of make a couple of really cringy videos where I was sort of, you know, trying to be educational. And, um, and at the same time, my husband discovered TikTok and we were instantly addicted to it. It was really fun and there was lots of dancing and comedy. And, yeah. um, and he said, well, you know, try and say something in 60 seconds and put it on there. And my initial thought was, no, I will get trolled out of there for mm. sure. Um, but anyway, long story short is we had a go with the idea that at any point we can delete this yeah. and just forget it have happened. Um, but very, very quickly, within a couple of weeks, I think it was, it just started to kind of blow up. And um, that was November 2019. So it was a couple of months before the lockdowns started to happen and stuff. My whole, the whole account was set up with the idea of being useful and putting some value in there. I, I didn't really have any interest of being a public person in any way or that sort of thing. So my idea was every video has to have some sort of value to it at some point that, that could be shared. And the fact that people clicked follow on an account that was purely about mental health education says a lot about what people need to hear and, and what people are looking for, I think. Um, and, and the stuff that's just not, uh, you know, as readily available yeah. as, or, or perhaps there is lots of information out there, but there's also lots of misinformation out there. So people wanted to know that what, what they were hearing was, you know, valid or research-based and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, it started to kind of blow up very quickly. I, I wonder if we can just sort of zoom into the, that, that moment when you decided that you're gonna get over the cringe and make that YouTube video and make that TikTok. What, what was that experience like? Yeah, do you know, it, it was okay. I, I hated the sound of my own voice. So when I would sort of listen back to them and stuff, um, some of them I just sort of handed over to my husband, Matt, and said, just press the button and <laughs> I'll sort of look this way. And then, you know, just didn't ever want to see it again. And probably, probably that's one of my methods actually is just don't watch it back too mm. much because then you just become critical and you want to make the perfect video. And actually it's better off just saying, I, I know it's not perfect. I might not look or sound perfect, but it's a useful message. So put it out there just in case. And then what you do is you get back these messages from people saying, well, thank you. That really changed my day. Or I'm using this with my son or daughter and it's really helping. Thank you. And then you think, well, 
yeah, it's okay to put a non-perfect video up there yeah. if you're being valuable to someone. So that's sort of allowed me to um, be imperfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the, that that kind of reminds me of the stuff you talk about in motivation in in the book. I think it's maybe chapter two, where you say that it's really about like those small steps and getting that feedback, and then that sustains the motivation. Yeah, it was that. I guess that kind of played into what kept you going in the early days. Yeah, and and in the book, I talk about that sort of need for intrinsic motivation. You know, that sort of we don't need. Uh, you know, they always give stickers to kids now, don't they, at schools mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we don't need a sticker or a trophy along the way. We need. Uh, something inside of us that says yes you're on the right track you're doing the right thing and for me it was it was that feeling that I get from feedback from real people saying I used it and it was helpful to me thank you um, and then there's that realization of you know I can sit in one room with one person at a time and try and be helpful but when you can get you know a hundred messages back in a day that say thank you that was really helpful then wow, you know, what an opportunity to reach all those people. Were you worried at all about your professional standing when yes. you started? Like, yeah, oh. what, what was that like? This is the thing that all doctors worry about as well. So yes. I, I, I guess it's the same thing. Yeah, it's something I can ask you yeah. as well, actually, because that was probably the main thing in my mind was, oh, what if someone I used to work with sees this and what will they think of me and and, and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, somehow I managed to just do it anyway but um and actually the feedback i've got from from old colleagues and staff has been really positive you know of sort of colleagues who are um you know gps and stuff like that who say that they you know mention the channel when people are struggling and i think gosh that that's that's the compliment you want isn't it is when people are willing to share your stuff because they see it as valuable too so yeah. um that's a sort of seal of approval but there is just this moment of almost free fall isn't it where you think ah i'm gonna do it anyway and see what happens yeah. and risk disapproval um but i think i always had to stick to that sense that um, i'm doing it because i believe this could be a useful thing for people yeah. um i know there's this stuff that people could have access to and mm. um and we could make it valuable for people so i had to just sort of stick to my guns try and maintain a sense of credibility all the way along and um not just say anything you know do my research and make sure that things were grounded and um an evidence base and stuff like that so so that i believed in it yeah i think that's that's really it's it's sort of like um the whole simon sinek stuff the whole start start with why thing like when, when you have that core why behind what you're doing it's not that you're trying to get famous it's not that you're trying to become a TikTok celebrity it's that you're trying to educate people on something that's genuinely useful yeah i guess that is uh, you know that's the intrinsic motivation rather than the extrinsic oh i want to hit a million followers and, and stuff like that yeah and it's it's difficult because it it grabs you doesn't it? and these platforms are made to be um addictive for creators as well as mm. uh, users so yeah. there is a sense of oh how many views did we get there or how many views did we get there but always being able to pull it back to why did i make that video and and actually i've noticed that if i make a video that i'm particularly pleased with because it's, it's valuable information i want to share I care a bit less about how many views it gets because mm -hmm. I think if I if that video helps ten people um, but only gets seen by you know ten thousand then that's that's worth it for me. But if if another video I make is not so valuable but I'm doing it to try and get views, then it's got less of a reward for me if I um, you know if I start to go down that road. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly the same on the YouTube video thing. Like. Um 
every creator I've ever spoken to has this constant struggle between caring about the numbers while simultaneously not caring about the numbers. <laughs> how, yeah. how do you how do you tell that line? <laughs> I just think it's a tightrope, isn't it? And yeah. you always have to just um, do a bit of a sort of mental check-in every now and then. Because I can tell if I start to go down that road. I mean, my husband is really that kind of side of it. So he'll look at numbers and say, oh, this didn't do well or that did well and things like that. But I feel that if I get um, too into that, then it's not good because it, it yeah. really stumps creativity and my ability to to think from from the word go about what am I going to put together mm -hmm. to make a video with. Um, you know, if I'm only thinking about views, um, it's just so much harder to do the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's where I found your channel so so helpful and and such an inspiration. Really, was because you were sort of putting so much value into each into each video you know when you kind of do book reviews and mm. like that you just sort of openly like you can give everything just talk about it all and what was useful and what was not useful and those kind of things and that's really sort of where i like to come from is just you know just give the the value and then we'll try to sew it up as something that is vaguely entertaining yeah. <laughs> afterwards um yeah yeah like so i've i've i had a bit of a, a, a crisis a couple of months ago where um we put out a video on the channel and had to delete it because it was just like 50% dislikes, loads of comments being like, this is like really just genuinely bad content. And it kind of led me on this sort of journey of introspection of realizing that I'd gone too far in the direction of, you know, I, I preach consistency and like, hey, one video a week is for many, many years. And I'd still been clinging, I, four and a half years later, I'd been clinging on to this idea that I have to put out two videos every single week. And we need to put that video out there because there's a sponsor deadline. And Eventually that got us to the point where I was like, oh, you know, really scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of video content ideas and genuinely putting stuff out for the sake of it rather than because it was valuable. And so I was like, okay, let's just take a step back and really examine this assumption. Why do I feel the need to actually put out two videos a week? And then I decided, you know what, let's now not be beholden to any upload schedule and only put out a video if I think it's actually good. Or if I think, you know, people will like it in some capacity. Like, I know you've done a few videos that are more about like, you rather than about like the educational side, which go down really well because people then start to care about you as a person. Um, and so in the last couple of months, we've actually not published that many videos, but the channel is growing faster than ever before because the only ones we've been putting out are the ones that I've internally felt. I'm actually proud of this video. I think this is genuinely good. Yeah. Um, and to your point, like when, when, I hit, when I hit publish on a video that I feel, feel is genuinely good, I don't care about the numbers anymore because it's like, this is, this is actually a sick video. Like if people like it, great. If they don't, that's totally fine. Yeah. I think, I think it's great. <laughs> and that's so refreshing to hear that someone, you know, with as many followers as you and that, you know, this huge channel can also put out a video and go, oh gosh, it's performing really badly, yeah. you know, take it <laughs> off. So, I mean, it, it's so human then, isn't it? To say it happens to everybody. Mm. And, you know, because I've done the same where we put a video and we think, oh, actually, no, this is not going down well. Or, you know, just, just, it's not, quite right we got it wrong somehow and and it's okay to do that you know i like this idea of not putting across this sort of i think that's something that can happen as well being a psychologist people think you must have it all sorted you must just you know be motivated all the time or you yeah. must um you know never have a problem or you know never have anything you don't feel you can deal with and actually it, that's the sort of side of so social media that i try to steer back steer back from and mm. i'm a human being and it's really important to sort of show people that we all make mistakes or we all struggle sometimes and, and it's all right because we're all human and yeah. you know, um, number of followers or anything doesn't yeah. make any difference really. Nice. Um, speaking of number of followers. So, uh, so you started about two years ago, November, 2019. Yeah. Um, and we're now, we're now at 3 million. So what was the growth trajectory like? So it started to grow really fast. I think there was a point that in sort of the early first couple of months we were going about sort of, um, 
anything up to sort of 100,000 a month. And then in lockdown, I think the the biggest month when everybody, you know, locked down and switched on TikTok yeah. was a sort of, I think our biggest month. And we put out a sort of really big viral video. And I think we had about a quarter of a million in, in a month. But that was a sort of one-off. And then it sort of steadied out. And, and um, uh, yeah, so, and, it, and we just sort of tipped over 3 million a couple of weeks ago, I think it was. So it's been steady going. And then and then also sort of branching out to, you know, other platforms and um, places like Instagram where you can really sort of engage your followers and, yeah. and be in your stories and stuff like that. Yeah. But also I think, I you know, the 60-second videos or the 15-second videos are great for grabbing people's attention. But there was a part of me as well that wanted to be really valuable and give all that detail. And that's really what the book is about, is is giving all those extra details about, okay, well, if there is this concept that can help, how do you do it? Here's step one, here's step two, here's that theory behind it, and here's the research that it's based in. Um, so that's really where the book came in about giving all of that detail so that people could go to it as a resource. Um, and structured in terms of problems as well, you know, that, yeah. that um, you don't, especially when you're struggling, you don't want to read a book cover to cover. You want to be able to go to the bit you find helpful or the problem you're dealing with and work it out straight away. So I tried to sort of structure it like that as well. So it's just a real resource for people. Yeah. No, I really like that approach to it. Like I looked at the table of contents and I went straight to meaningful life because I was like, oh, <laughs> this is currently the problem. Where it's like motivation. Uh, we, 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 we like sorted that years ago. Let's go on to the meaningful life stuff. Towards the end of the book, you t you've, you've got a whole section called... Um, on a meaningful life people have been trying to answer this question for like millennia so what what's the kind of psychology research scientific take on what how how do we live a meaningful life sure so a lot of the stuff from that section is taken from i really like using um acceptance and commitment therapy act um which has a whole um sort of part of that therapy is around uh, understanding your own values and what gives you meaning and purpose in life mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so so I've devoted a whole section to it because I think it's so so important, and and also think it's important to not just do it once, but to keep doing sort of little values check-ins where you you just step back, get a bit of a bird's eye view on what's going on in your life at this point, mm -hmm. what matters most to you at this point, because it changes, right? You know, what was important to you at 21 might not be the same things that are important to you at 31. Mm -hmm. So your values change as you go along, but the way um, that we set it out in therapy is is that a value is like a path that you follow your whole life there is no end to it but you just you value that path so you want to stay close to it as much as you can okay. so a goal is something you once you've done it you you've done it it's mm. finished so your your goal might be to do a marathon but your value might be to stay fit and healthy uh, and so the marathon becomes one of many possible goals along the way, but your value is to to continue to be fit and healthy along the way. Mm. So that's the path. Yeah, is fit and health. You know, fitness and health. Yeah. Um, and then there can be lots of lots of hurdles and lots of goals along the way. Um, but at times life steers you away from those so mm. you know you might life happens and maybe uh, your job is very intense or you have children or whatever it is and it might steer you away from that path and so that's why i think it's so important to do these regular sort of values check-ins where you go oh i'm not feeling quite right and actually lots of people come to therapy with that sort of sense of i'm not really sure what the problem is i just mm. I'm feeling a bit lost or a bit, you know, life feels a bit meaningless at the moment. And often that's because people have lost touch with what's most important to them or life has steered them away from things that matter to them. 
And so just getting clarity on what does matter to me? What is the most important thing or things in my life at the moment? And what kind of person do I want to be in those areas of my life? Um, which then allows you to set goals based on the life that you want to have or the person that you want yeah. to be. How, how do you go about mm. figuring out your values? So there are lots of kind of little exercises you do you can do. Uh, sometimes you can literally just grab a piece of paper, um, separate it into little boxes, and you might have boxes for um, family life or um, lifelong learning mm. or um, health or creativity. So you can kind of fill those boxes with the different aspects of your life. And then in each box, kind of ask yourself, what kind of person do I want to be in this area of my life? So <clears throat> maybe it's family relationships. Mm. What kind of son do I want to be to my mum? What kind of, or my dad, and mm. you know, what, what kind of relationship do I want to have? Um, what do I want to represent to those people? Um, how would that show up in terms of behavior and action, you know, daily behavior? Um, and then you just kind of fill it with, with words or bullet points, and that gives you this, this picture of what life would be like if you were living in line with all of those values mm. and sometimes they pull on each other so sometimes they conflict you know you might have this um real idea of being a um you know a successful entrepreneur but actually that sucks all of your time and you also want to be a family guy and you, and you want to spend time with your kids or you know and so often there's this idea you know this sort of this balancing act yeah. where okay life has pulled me in one direction and i want to pull it back this way so it's not about setting goals and doing them perfectly it's about always just tipping the balance mm. um you know i haven't been working out for a while because i've been so focused on work so i know i'm just going to come back in this direction a little bit more and and balance things out um so it's really just getting clarity but it's also not not focusing on um what happens to you so it's not saying this is what i want mm. in my life because then things can happen yeah. and then you think oh failed it hasn't worked out it's really not it's really not about what happens to you it's about how you want to be in the face of all the stuff that life throws at us how do i want to respond when hard stuff happens mm. how do i want to respond when i'm in a good place um and stuff like that yeah as you were saying this i was like damn these are some really good questions so i should <laughs> i should sit down and answer some of these. um so is that like so in in one of the early drafts of my book proposal, uh, the first chapter was going to be about like values and like meaning and, and stuff. And after doing a bunch of stuff and like reading an ACT textbook and things, I realized, okay, let me leave this aside for now. Maybe this is book three or four or five, ten years down the line, when or twenty or thirty years down the line when I have when I have more experience. Let's stick to the thing that I actually can feasibly talk about, which is like productivity and fun and and, and stuff. Um, and so I came across a bunch of these sort of value finding, value finding exercises. Uh, so I've kind of figured out what some of my values are, I think. But knowing that and then actually using it to change a decision that I would have made otherwise, I haven't really done much of that. Like, how? let's say someone does these journaling prompts and figures out, okay, I want to be the sort of son that does X, Y, Z. I want to be the sort of parent that does X, Y, Z. How, how, yeah, how do you how do you translate that into physical like actual action? Yeah, that's where you know the therapy stuff can be really helpful because it's a a protected time in the week where you are going to reflect on those values and the things that you want to work on. 
So they're not necessarily a big problem, mm. but it's in a direction you want to steer to. And so it becomes this place where you're accountable to that and you mm. go and reflect on um, in hindsight. And that's where it all begins is looking back on things. So you think, okay, here's my map of all, you know, all these different values I have and the things that are important to me. How, how am I living in line with them? Mm. And you know, how have I been living in line with them in the last two weeks? Yeah. Or have I, you know, and, and when when you look back and you think gosh i really haven't mm. what what would i need to do to steer back towards that value or to steer back towards that path um and then it creates a mini goal for the week ahead you know and and that's really how therapy works is you you know you go and you have this sense of accountability for yourself that yeah. you um there are things you want to work on and you see how you've been getting on and you tweak things a bit and you set a new goal for the next week and then and then you reflect on that again next week so i think translating kind of ideas and values into action mm. is really about reflection and planning so you mm. you learn in hindsight you look back actually yeah if i'm really really honest with myself in the last couple of weeks have i been living in line with that value yeah whatever it was you know, enthusiasm for example and then you know if if the answer is not really you create a set of you know specific actions that i will do this week to to move closer to that and then the next week you reflect on well how was that yeah. did it move me closer does that feel enough do i need to do more do i need to step back and those sorts of things so it's just a always balancing and tweaking and um never ever doing it perfectly because that's really not the aim hmm. yeah i really like that model of like it's it's like you're steering towards this path that you've kind of decided that this is the thing i care about for now yeah um do values change much as we grow older? Oh, hugely, I think, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I, I, you know, when I was, I don't know, 19 or 20, I never even envisioned myself as, as being a parent. I was really focused on my studies and learning and traveling and doing all those things. Um, but now that's without a doubt the most important thing in my life. So, you know, that's, it's only a decade. <laughs> it's only, you know, um, uh, you know it's it's not a long time but but when life throws things at you and life changes then you you know what what matters to you changes as well and that's okay you know you don't have to be the same person yeah you learn and grow and you would adapt to that i think nice so so coming back to the overall question of like m meaningful life it sounds like figuring out your values is like a pretty reasonable first step on the path of like hey i know i mean we, we all basically know that we want to live a meaningful life but i think very few of us actually keep that in mind <laughs> yeah. when, cause it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of a bit, a bit weird. Like it's a bit out there to think, huh, what's the meaning of life? Okay, well let me do some exercises and actually figure this out rather than just dismissing it as, oh, no one can ever figure that out kind of thing. Yeah. And um, I think we often look outwards as well, don't we? We look to, you know, we're bombarded with media that tell us what life should be about mm. and what our purpose should be. And um, it, it's quite empowering when you give yourself permission to generate your own meaning so well actually yeah. you know it is up to you what matters to you and yeah. then you can structure life around that life's still really really hard and there are still responsibilities but how you approach those responsibilities it's really your choice um and and that can be quite sort of refreshing i think to think you don't have yeah. to be gaining everybody's approval you have to be looking at well what would life be like if i approved of myself if i, if I, if I approved of myself oh as in like yeah. so I, if i were kind of following 
the path that so, I've decided is meaningful. Yeah. So if I'm okay. looking for my own approval, what yeah. what would I be doing? You know, it's a sort of, yes, we can get approval from other people, yeah. but also what would make me really pleased with myself because those are my values rather than them necessarily being other people's. Can you really dissociate that? Like, you know, let's say I value, I'm, I'm, I'm considering applying to Harvard for like an MBA. And I keep on like second guessing this because I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, I value prestige, I value status, I value these badges of like stuff. Is that really like me or is that kind of what society plus or minus my family have kind of instilled into me that makes me feel as if it's coming from within, if that makes sense? What's, what's the gut feeling? What's, do you feel that it's come from outside? No, I don't feel like it's come from outside. But I also didn't come out of the womb thinking I want to I want to get a degree from Cambridge Harvard. <laughs> like, <laughs> so there is some level of like, you know, it wasn't a genetic decision. There is some level of like socialization that goes into this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I guess I wonder to what extent the fact that I know that probably a large chunk of my identity is socialized in some to some degree. Does that still make me me or does it make me a product of my the society I've been brought up in? And then how do I like find my true meaning if, well, it's society that's told me that a Harvard and Cambridge degree is like a good thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because we're all a product of of our upbringings and our cultures and all those kind of things, aren't we? So, you know, I don't think it's about sort of finding this one truth. I think it's about creating the meaning and holding on to things that, you know, what a wonderful thing that would be to do if that was what you would enjoy and find inspiring and exactly (laughs) so you know i think you can that's the beauty of it is um when when you're in a position that you can choose those things Mm. then you can decide um yes it might be that i've i've learned you know some of these sort of um ideas around prestige of universities and stuff Mm. but actually i would really enjoy that and it would give me a lot of meaning and Mm. purpose it doesn't matter if if it came from someone else if you agree with it you know whereas if you feel (laughs) pressured and it's not something you want to do but you feel like you're doing it because you know someone will disapprove of you if you don't then that's slightly different isn't it yeah but if it's something you love and you would get good memories from and i think i think it's kind of like the like realistically the reason i go to the gym is not for myself it's to look more attractive <laughs> but i also agree that it's a good thing to do and therefore who, who cares what the, what the prime motivation is it's, it's a good thing to do exactly you can kind of use all the different aspects of pressure yeah. and to your own advantage um are there values that are more better than others for, like and like like for example if i were to be like okay you know really my value is sitting in front of the playstation and playing video games all day y- yes you could say well any anything goes as long as it makes you happy but there's also uh, the, the, I'm, I'm sure there must be some evidence around like well i don't know relationships or like whatever as as uh, f- focusing on these things even if you feel like you don't really want to in the moment because you're focused on video games will actually be good for you in the long term is there like that aspect when it comes to values of, of some being like better if we're optimizing for a meaningful life? Yeah, because I think, um, you know, your value might be, I don't know, um, time out and rest, or, you know, your, your value might be around, it might be to even to do with, um, you know, your well-being if you have your really stressful job and that's always been time to sort of unwind mm. for you, then it would fit. Whereas, you know, playing video games all the time, um, might actually pull you away from a lot of your other values. So, you know, it, oh, it can okay, be yeah. really tempting. And that's where these subjects are really difficult to kind of grasp. And 
and be concrete with because they're so sort of broad and there is no set prescription mm. um there is maybe that temptation to kind of um make it your own make it whatever you suits what you want to do at the time and and actually a lot of having a meaningful life is about being responsible you know taking on responsibility and accountability for um anyone you're responsible for mm. or things you're responsible for, or things that you believe in um and doing the hard stuff it's not mm. necessarily about um doing whatever whatever feels good now it's do you know that that's when we get into a lot of trouble is i think is when we we base our actions on how we want to feel now mm. as opposed to how we want to feel in the future mm. um because you might really enjoy playing computer computer games non-stop five years down the road you might look back and think oh god yeah i really want to do that you know um yeah i think there, there, there is a balance there between like not being so future focused that we forget to live in the present yeah but also not being so present focused that like the whole live every day like it's your last is like probably terrible advice <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because then you'd just be doing heroin <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, completely exactly. like destroying yourself exactly and a meaningful purposeful life is often about you know doing the hard stuff for the benefit of you know your future or someone else's future mm. or your community and yeah all of those things yeah the, the the way i've been thinking about it recently is i mean it's all kind of semantics but like ha happiness is how good i'm feeling in the moment broadly and like contentment and meaning is how useful i am being to other people um i don't know does that like make sense at all from what, you, what you've read and written about the stuff yeah because i think there's a you know this sort of happiness movement was was really um uh, it's a tricky one isn't it mm. because it's it's a feeling like any other that comes and goes and we can't depend on it and but i think um when so much was sort of written about happiness as this thing that we all needed to sort of grab and hold on to it then it gave us the impression that that happiness is our default mode and that anything out of that could be a mental health problem oh right and so you know that this idea that you can everyone has bad days right mm. everyone has days when they don't feel happy um they feel something else and and that's normal and that's human and that's okay um and actually some of the things that make us happiest also make us feel lots of really negative and painful emotions so oh, okay. i don't know like uh well, you know when you become a parent mm. you feel that that's the the you know best thing in the world to you and you feel really happy but also there'll be times when you feel really really sad and and ashamed if you feel like you've made some mistake or um you know distress when your child goes out into the world or you know there, there's a whole host of emotions yeah. that come along with happiness as well so um yeah it, it's it's a shame how sort of oversimplified it it kind of has mm. been made i think so so we kind of said that living a meaningful life is sort of like figuring out what your values are and then attempting to live it's sort of in, in alignment with those values. Um, are there any other kind of uh, elements that add into the recipe or the, 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 the thing of a meaningful life beyond the value stuff? Yeah, I think it, it, it's, it's keeping in touch with those values, isn't it, on, on a regular basis so that, so that you don't find yourself adrift and, and wondering what on earth is the meaning, if any. Because you know, when, when, I think life starts to feel a bit meaningless, doesn't it? If, mm. if we um, don't really have clarity on why we're doing what we're doing and yeah. and all of those things so i guess it's sort of um keeping in touch with those those values and and trying to be around people whose whose values connect in some way i think you can suddenly feel very alone if if you find yourself in a situation where your values clearly do not um cross over with the people 
that you're around. Mm. Uh, so there's, you know, you can't really talk about a meaningful life without talking about relationships as well and, yep. and how to manage relationships. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a section in the book on, on, or there's a chapter in the book on relationships within the meaningful life because you can't, you can't really separate the two. Um, we're social beings. So, you know, relationships are our meaning really. What what can we do to kind of live more in alignment with that? I mean, because I guess because, at least speaking for me, I know intellectually that relationships are the most important thing in life. And yet, if I think about like all the podcasts I listen to, 98 of them are about business and two of them are about health and relationships. And if I think about how I spend my time, like 16 hours a day is spent here doing like the YouTube stuff and like one or two hours is spent hanging out with friends. Like, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's so that... I, I know intellectually that actually relationships are important and yet I didn't call my mum this morning. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and that in itself is just interesting, isn't it? Yeah. When we look, because I think there's perhaps a tendency to, um, when, we, when we look at that, to then be self-critical mm. and think, oh, I'm not getting it right or, you know, I need to do it. And, and actually it has to come with, that sort of reflection has to come with some compassion that um, we are set up in a world that, that dictates that we go to work for a certain number of hours a day mm. and, and that, you know, certain days a week and all these kind of things. And, and we are wrapped up in that. Mm. Um, but it, what an amazing privilege to be able to sort of get a bird's eye view on it, look at it and say, I'd like it to be a bit different. Could mm. Is it possible in, with my life situation at the moment to make it any different mm. or to tip the balance? And the reality is for a lot of people, they have to be at work for a certain number of hours a day or yeah. they, you know, all those kind of things. And life is really tough. Um, but when we get into a position where we have choices, how empowering to be able to use them and to say, do you know what, you know, I'm Ali Abdel now, I can take and a Friday <laughs> I can, afternoon I can do what I want, yeah. go, go out and that would be great, you know. Yeah. And, but the, the pressure that is a cultural pressure, I think, isn't it, to, you know, this sort of burnout badge of honor type thing mm. that I, I work, work, work and, and, you know, earn more, be more, buy more, all of that kind of stuff that inevitably leads to, you know, lots of people um, queuing up outside the therapy room door. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a question I, I sometimes ask myself, like, what is the point of all of this more um, kind of moving to London, getting this ridiculously expensive studio, building a team to freaking 17 people now? It's, it, it all feels, I, I sometimes look back and I think, huh. How, how the hell do we get here? But then at the same time, I think, okay, but this like genuinely feels fun. Like if I, if I think of how I'd want to spend the next 12 months of my life, I, I could kind of do whatever. I could like travel the world and stuff, but it genuinely does feel more stuff, more fun to be like, actually, actually, I just want to come into the studio every day and just hang out with the team and like make cool, make cool videos. And maybe that preference will change further down the line. Yeah. But right now that's the thing that feels the most fun. And so let's just give it a go and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And it's giving you, you know, opportunities and great experiences and you're meeting different people. And, and so if you value those things at that point and it feels that it's giving you joy and mm -hmm. some meaning and some purpose, and then why not? You know, it's mm -hmm. okay to say, this doesn't have to be forever. Yeah. I can do this while it feels meaningful. Yeah. And then it's okay at some point if my values or meaning change, mm -hmm. you know, it's... Um, it's kind of taking each chapter yeah. for what it is. Yeah, I really like that. Like most decisions are, I mean, other than like marriage and kids and stuff are, are kind of temporary. Um, yeah. Like, you know, this is a one year lease on this building. So it's a one year experiment yeah. and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, it, it, it kind of takes the pressure off it a little bit. Um, that the way that the, the thing that we're doing now is not the thing that we actually have to do forever. It's yeah. just the thing that we're doing for now. Yeah. And we're just checking with ourselves. And I find that 
you know, over the, over the last couple of weeks, I've been finding that mm, something doesn't feel quite right. And I look at my calendar, I'm like, well, it's full of all of these meetings and stuff. And really, I want to carve out more time for writing. All right, cool. I, I, I just can do that. So no more meetings before 12 p.m. All right, team, sort the rest out. And now I have writing time in the morning and it's great. Um, I just feel it feels nice to kind of give myself the permission to do that. Yeah. Because I, just, I was operating before on a just default mode, just n not realizing that I can sort of carve the life that I think I want and experiment that with that for a couple of weeks and see what happens and correct course. Yeah. Uh, I sort of thought I had to sort of get it perfect from, from day one, but it's, it's nice to have the freedom to just like explore. Yeah, because there is that pressure, isn't there, to sort of um, have it all sorted and appear to have it all sorted, which mm. then holds us back from uh, learning and changing direction. Mm. Um, a bit like, you know, even in sort of medicine or in psychology, if if at any point it doesn't feel safe to to make a mistake mm. or anything, then then you become sort of almost defensive in, in your practice, don't you? And, and you kind yeah. of think um, it's not OK to learn from experience and do something differently next time. I have mm. to show that I've got it all sorted. So I think there is a lot of that in our sort of society, isn't there, that, um, that stops people from just making a small change and giving themselves permission to do that because it would make them happier. As you're growing on TikTok and Instagram and kind of dabbling with YouTube, where did the book come into things? Like, what was the story behind how the book came to be? It was it was in my mind that that I wanted to give more details and more, you know, how-tos to make it as useful as it could be for people. Um, but it wasn't until I got approached by um, my literary agent, um, Abigail Bergstrom, who was really, really helpful. You know, I was having all these sort of publishers get in contact um, with ideas and things that they wanted to do. Um, but she really helped by saying, write the book that you want to write. Mm. So, you know, put together the proposal for the thing that you want to do. And then we'll take it from there and, and you know, send that out to people. So, and then, uh, and then signed a deal with Penguin, which was just really, really exciting. Um, and it was writing through, through lockdown. So yeah. my poor husband was trying to homeschool three children while I was locked upstairs trying to get the, you know, 80,000 words out, mm. which again was a huge roller coaster emotionally because you you're taken completely out of your comfort zone or the, the place where you feel like you know what you're doing mm. and started um I, I got a few book recommendations from your videos actually about writing <laughs> and things like that um and you know I just started reading a lot about writing yep. thinking oh my gosh I know the psychology but how do I put it across in the right way and um so that was that was a real experience was was how do I write, you know, um, that I'm, I've, I've got this, this, this deal because I've got this audience. Mm. How do I make it really, really good um, so that people can be engaged mm. by it and stuff? How did you find your literary agent? Really, really helpful. Oh, that, so like, how, helpful. Did, how, how did you find her? Oh, how did I find <laughs> yeah. her? So um, I was approached by Gleam Futures, who oh, are yeah. a management company. Yeah. yeah. So um, I work with them and they um, sort of help me with the different brand deals and events and things okay. that I'll join. And um, she was the head of published their in-house publishing. Mm. She's now sort of branched out on her own, I think. Um, but yeah, okay. they sort of found me. I was in the, weirdly, I was in the evening standard on some article. Oh. <laughs> uh, and during lockdown, it was being delivered to people's houses. Right. And so uh, one of the girls um, that was quite sort of high up in Gleam saw the the article and then gave me a call and said, mm. I've got a new management. Um, but they've been absolutely really, really helpful in helping me to kind of steer this whole thing because it's completely new to me. Yeah. Um, I'm just sort of stepping out of the therapy room and yeah. going, I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm taking this. So it was really, really helpful to have a bit of guidance. Oh, nice. And, and so when you so then you kind of put the proposal together. 
how how different was the proposal to what's ended up being the final product? It's similar in terms of how it's structured. Mm. I perhaps didn't have a really set idea of what would be in each chapter. Yeah. I kind of had this idea of, yeah, we'll cover this, this and this. Yeah. And then, oh, the mountain of research <laughs> came after, yeah. you know. Um, and yeah, I think there, there wasn't a day when my desk wasn't absolutely covered in paper and mm. books and, you know, notes and things like that. It was a monstrous task, but um, what an experience. Mm. I mean, how is your book going? Are you um, still working on? Still, so we've, uh, f the proposal is now finished like a year later. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like it, the proposal went through so many iterations and it completely scrapped the concept and then went, went down a whole different, different route. Um, now I'm into the actual writing and I've realized that it's, it's very easy to make promises in the proposal. Yeah. <laughs> like in chapter one, I will discuss the importance of goal setting and why goals should be like this rather than that and why motivation is about this rather than that. Like, then I come to actually writing it. It's like, bloody hell. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I've made a big promise and I don't, need to, I don't need to actually deliver on it. Looking at the research, like, oh, well, actually the research says the challenging goals are better than easy goals. And my whole point is that easy goals are the way forward. Damn. Like, am I trying to make a point that's like not with the research and then looking into it? And um, yeah, it's a, but, but it's fun. It's, it's sort of like being back at uni almost where it's like, I'm trying to make a specific argument throughout this essay and I just need to find the evidence to back it up and make sure I am not cherry picking egregiously <laughs> to the point that it's actually inaccurate. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. What, was, what was that process I think like? It's, <laughs> it's a similar challenge, isn't it? Because we're probably quite similar in the sense that I, I really enjoy the learning part and I mm. enjoy the reading and the, and the discovery. And, and then the real challenge for me is, okay, try and put this into something vaguely coherent and engaging for people. Mm. And that always feels like the hard part. The bit I love is the, oh, let's read and let's get all these yeah. books together and find something. There's such potential in that. Um, it, it's, putting it together with your experience and your, you know, the things that you've read. Oops, done it again. So these arms, they're just going everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Um, uh, yeah, so it, um, I love the sort of learning part and, and bringing it all together. Um, and then sort of, you know, going off on one in the kitchen to my husband about this, oh, there's this, this, and this, and this. But actually writing it down is a whole other ball game, mm. isn't it? Um, so yeah, I find it super challenging, really yeah. challenging. How, how uh, did you have any imposter syndrome around the write, writing the book? Every day, every day. Because um, what, what, uh, what was the book that you recommended? And I've got it, uh, is it the, the War of Art? Or oh what, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And oh, it's such a good book. And I had to sort of keep listening to, I, I got the paper version and the audiobook version <laughs> so that I could occasionally listen to his voice uh, reminding me that, you know, a professional sits down and cracks on. Mm. Um, because there, that first sort of hour or two of the day was really getting over that hump of, can I do this? Am I? Am I? Should I even be here writing this? Should somebody else be doing it? Would somebody else be a better place mm. doing it? And then reminding yourself that you have all of this stuff to share that people are finding useful. Um, and here we go. Okay. Yeah. There's nothing better than finding yourself sort of 20 minutes into typing. You think, yes, yes, I'm doing it. I'm doing. Oh, oh no, no, I'm back <laughs> to go on. And you stop again, and you're kind of then worried about the next bit. But um, yeah, just another one of those experiences where you think. Um, I learned a lot from it because it was such a challenge for me. Mm. Yeah, I think um, in basically all of the chats that I ever have with my agent and editor, they feel more like therapy sessions where they're like, look, it's okay, you can do this, trust yourself. Yeah. And I was like, but it's a book. And they're like, yeah, but a book's not that big a deal. Like, you know, <laughs> if, if you were making a video about this topic, you'd be pretty comfortable. Like, yeah. have that same energy when it comes to the book. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but it's a book. Like, <laughs> for some reason, a book feels like such a big deal. Um, 
I don't know if you had any of that at all. Like, yeah. what, what did book feel like relative to making a TikTok yeah. video? Yeah, I mean, books are my favorite thing in the world. So it's a, it's a bit of a sort of running joke at home, actually, that, um, you know, I sort of hoard books and they're very special to me and I won't kind of throw them away or that yeah. kind of thing. And 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 so, yeah, to me, the, the, producing a book is such a such a special thing to do. And um and there's so much potential every time you pick up a book, the things that you could learn or that has the potential to change your day or your life. And um, so for me, then it perhaps gave me this sense of, oh, this has to be life-changing and yeah. groundbreaking. And, and while I believe that all this research I was learning about is life-changing and groundbreaking mm. and should be passed on, um, it's still then, then getting yourself to the point where you think this book can be, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've, I put you know, blood, sweat and tears into including the stuff that I think has been so helpful for me and for the people I've worked with um, that can just ha generally help you get through those normal day-to-day -day problems that we all face. Yeah. You know, there's a section on grief, a section on anxiety and, um, you know, motivation and those low days that everybody gets. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't really on disorders or you know really sort of I, I, there, there isn't a section on depression for example but there is a section on low mood and mm. dark times which everybody faces you know everyone has those low days and then how can we how can we understand those and how can we then do something about yeah. it um so yeah i was just trying to be kind of as useful as possible yeah. um one thing you talk about in, in the book is the idea of motivation and like doing things even when you don't feel like it how, how did you go about writing the book even on days where you didn't feel like it? There were lots of days when I probably didn't feel like it, um, especially when I was missing out on family time. Because, mm. um, you know, my, my job was originally set up to be so that I could be a mum for a lot of the time. And suddenly I had this deadline and I had to be on this book all the time. Yeah. Um, so there are a couple of weekends and stuff where I, you know, the kids are going out and to the park with my husband and stuff. And I was at home feeling kind of sorry for myself. And those are the times when I really didn't want to do it. Then it's using those old therapy skills of sort of um, opposite action and stuff like that. So okay. this so this idea that you can, um, well, I, I saw your, your video on that sort of activation energy and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, the pain and I thought, barrier. Yeah, and <laughs> it's, it, yeah. It's, really, it's really similar to um, something we use in a therapy called DBT dialectical behavior therapy where we talk about opposite action so okay. the idea that you can have an urge to do something and we get a choice whether we act opposite to that urge or yeah. whether we go with it yeah. and so and you can kind of practice i mean we used to actually without knowing we used to practice as kids with like um polo mints and stuff where yeah. you would have to hold a polo in your mouth and not crunch it and mm. the urge to crunch and, and bite yeah. down on the mint was really intense but then actually when you do that you notice that you can have an urge to do something and you don't have to go with it. Mm. You can do something else. You can act opposite to it. And so you can kind of practice with sort of simple things like that just to build up that self-awareness. But, you know, the urge might be to go down and make a third cup of tea in the last, you know, 45 yeah. minutes. What's really going on here is um, I don't want to type mm. because I feel like it's going to be terrible. Mm. So I'm going to just going to start knowing it's terrible. And then at some point I get into a groove and I forget that I'm, you know, trying to not do this mm. um so yeah the, the act opposite was really is always really really helpful for me actually um not easy but when you do manage to to use it it's, it's helpful yeah um when, when one thing that you write about as well is how motivation is tied to identity i wonder if you can kind of elaborate on that a little bit yeah so i think if you um if you see something as a, a part of who you are it seems to take less energy if you clean your teeth every morning because you see see yourself as someone who looks after their dental hygiene, 
then it doesn't feel negotiable. Mm. It's just something you do. You don't do it because you feel like it today. You do it because that's what you do. And it's just a part of your life. So, um, yeah, I think identity is a big part of the things that we do. You know, we mm. do things because we've always done them. And so that's how they then become a part of our identity. It's yeah. something that's been part of our lives for a long time. So, um, yeah, having something that, that you decide is a part of your identity it's not easy again it's not easy all of these things are really easy for me to say i say that a lot in therapy this is really easy for me to say really really hard to do in practice yeah. because it is um but if you can sort of you know and when like you say when you're going to therapy for something that doesn't feel like a problem actually when you're trying to make some sort of positive change in your life or redirect habits and stuff sitting down and thinking about your identity you know why is changing this particular habit really hard for me actually my identity is is um based on something else or you know it conflicts with it in some way then you know maybe your identity is that you work harder than anybody else but then actually you're not making time to go to the gym and stay healthy mm. so if, if you kind of then incorporate being a healthy person into your identity yeah. it becomes a bit easier to prioritize it because it's a part of who you are um and you get to realize that you can do both yeah yeah that's a pretty good point i think that uh, so i when i when i first read atomic habits and he talks a lot about kind of Ultimately, habit change is like a thing, but really we're trying to go for identity change. Yeah. And I started thinking of myself as I am, I'm a person who is healthy. Um, and then it became easier to make certain decisions around going for one food versus another. Uh, and it's still not perfect. Like this morning, I was meant to have a personal trainer session, but I kind of got out of bed a bit late. I was doing an interview until late night. I was like, oh, I don't really feel like it. So I was like, <laughs> do I cancel or do I not? And I end ended up canceling the session because I was like, it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. um, but... I think, I, th I think also when it comes to identity, uh, one thing that I've found is that like for, for people who are interested in like getting things done and productivity and like self-improvement and all, the, all, all that stuff, there is kind of a sort of su super identity in a way that sits above the specific identities, which is sort of like a, I'm a person that gets things done. I'm a productive person. I'm a sort of whatever. That, that means that kind of anything underneath that which is basically everything else in life becomes easier to do whereas i find with people who have told themselves that they are a procrastinator oh i'm just so unproductive oh i could never do that it becomes so hard to then do all of the other things like health and wealth and like you know, caring about relationships like all, all of the other stuff around what makes a good life is harder to do if you have an identity of someone who does not have their shit together proverbially. I don't know if that's something that you found at all. Yeah, absolutely. You can have set sort of core beliefs about yourself from from that came from you know maybe early in childhood, and they've just persisted, and then and they can really you know, we don't think about them all the time, so we're not always even aware of them. You know, in therapy, we'll spend sometimes a, a fair amount of time sort of trying to work out what those core beliefs are for someone, mm. and and really sort of trying to get right down to it. And once we get there, there's so often this sort of light bulb moment for people where they think, yes. And because you don't really think about your core beliefs all the time, sometimes never at all, but they're that template that was perhaps set up for you early in life that is, is your template for the world. So it's your idea of, they're often I am statements. So um, it might be, I don't know, if it was something negative, it might be I am unlovable or I am um, unlikable or mm. something, or it might be what to expect from other people. So other people will abandon me or other people will, 
you know, um, hurt me or something, or something about the world. So the world is a dangerous place or something like that. So those those core beliefs are things that kind of sit under the surface and influence the choices that we make, but we don't necessarily consciously think about why we're making those choices. We have an urge and we go with it because we always did. Um, so, so yeah, that's sort of all of that identity stuff. It's a big part of what happens in therapy, but we can do that kind of thing um, in a self-help approach. So with journaling and things like that, you know, you can really reflect on some of your own, you know, choices or the, the cycles that you seem to get stuck in and you're not really sure how to break mm. it getting it down on paper something we do in therapy a lot is getting a bird's eye view we literally draw maps of um behavior patterns and and then you look down at it and you go oh that's how i can break it there's there's the exit okay now i know what i need to do um which can be really helpful so there's a lot of that in the book where there's a lot of things like journal prompts that are just questions Mm. for you to sit down and go okay let's answer these in 10 minutes and maybe you might have that moment where you go ah okay yeah, I think journaling prompts are, are such an underrated like <laughs> technique because uh, like I I've I've come across a lot of journal prompts and as I was, I was reading through the book I was like oh these prompts are really good and then I didn't do anything with them but I know if I just sat with any one of them for ten minutes and yeah. actually just answered it I'd get so much clarity on like stuff in my life yeah and it just feels like and any time I've done that in the past I've always felt felt like damn I'm, I'm really glad I did this I really should do this more often yeah. Um, and, and that's why doing this sort of, you know, the, the therapy thing, even though there's not a specific problem yeah. that, that you're really trying to fix, sometimes it can be that sort of introspection and, and learning about yourself in the way that you might with journaling, mm. um, where you just have someone to answer or ask those questions, but then also reflect back on what they're hearing and things like that. You know, a therapist can be a, a mirror, essentially, where they reflect back to you what they're hearing from you. And sometimes that can be quite surprising what, yeah. you, what you realize you're, you're sort of giving out. And I, men- I when I mentioned this therapy thing to my mom, she was like, and, and I, I kind of said that, oh, well, you know, it's kind of nice, even don't have, don't have a specific problem. She was like, yeah, but, have, you know, why, why can't you just talk to your friends about that kind of stuff? I was like, yeah, that's a good point. I probably, probably could. Um, but there's something about speaking to a stranger about stuff that feels a bit different to speaking to a friend. Yeah. And, and sometimes um, in a friendship, it's obviously a, a two way thing, isn't there? So you, you often kind of talk for a while and then you feel that you need to be there for the friend. And mm. so it goes back and forth. And sometimes if you have something you really want to sort of deep dive on or really want to work out, yeah. um, sometimes you do want that completely private, protected time mm. where you can just focus on that without feeling guilty that you're yeah. perhaps, <laughs> you know, taking up your friend's time or something yeah. like that. So, you know, um, and you can get a trained perspective, whereas um, friends will can be a great, great support, but sometimes they might try and solve it for us or make us feel better in the moment. And sometimes if you're really trying to work something out, you don't need to feel better in the moment. You need to sit with it and, and keep going so that you can kind of work through it. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it strikes me that therapists are often very good at asking questions. What are like the, 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 the top three techniques that a therapist would use to kind of go deeper on a topic with someone um so they'll ask sort of very open questions um you know the the yes or no answers are not what you want in therapy so they'll ask very open questions that require more than a yes or no answer to get someone talking um they will just zip it sometimes and Mm. just be completely you know i've had whole therapy sessions where i've barely said a word because someone is just going for it and they've got a flow and they know exactly what they want to work out and and say and things like that but there are other times when you actually do a lot of talking Mm. and there is a lot of education and, and so it's um uh, perhaps a skill of kind of being able to take what someone is saying and and get it out on paper so you're formulating and uh, you are 
taking a, a spe- maybe a specific time or event, a sort of he said, she said, or I did this, then I did that, yeah. and you plot out the process. And actually, that might not be a one-off event because mm. it might be a pattern of behavior that they're stuck in. And then you kind of get this bird's eye view and, and then that person can kind of see oh right that's what i'm doing or that's why i'm doing it and and you know and then and and there's also this kind of it's guided discovery so you're not advising someone do this or don't do that you guide and help them to come to a point where they discover it for themselves and Mm. then they work out what they want to do based on their values or um, the life they want to create one one sort of pattern i've noticed is that americans who write books are much more open with being prescriptive than Brits who write books. Um, every British author I've ever spoken to feels feels a bit of a cringe about like giving advice, yeah. whereas the Americans seem to be like full on confident about it. Um, <laughs> I guess given that your book is a self help book, how 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 did you feel about like giving advice? <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard, isn't it? As well, because like you say, you know, a lot of therapy isn't about giving advice. Yeah. It's about saying, here's what the research says. Mm how might you use that and and then helping that sort of you know being guided discovery and that's why there are so many journal prompts in there and and activities and exercises that people can work through um because it's individual you know you can give a sort of blanket piece of advice and and it won't work for everyone um and it's it's interesting because we often talk a lot about at home about these you know like um sort of wellness influences and stuff so you you, oops that say you know you must get up at 5 a.m and you must meditate for an hour then work out and then you know have a decent you know special breakfast or what and you think yeah but it really doesn't work for everybody you know um there are people with children or there are people that shift work and there are people that that just have lots of responsibilities and stuff and so um Often when you give a blanket statement advice, there are lots of people then that, that can't find it help, as helpful because yeah. it just isn't what their life looks like. You have what I thought was a pretty hot take in the book, which is that um, this whole thing of don't care what other people think is not necessarily like good advice. Yeah. What's your, what, what, well, what's the because, theory there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, because we are, we are social beings, aren't, aren't we? And, and um however much you tell someone not to care what other people think they are built to care because mm. and if you didn't you wouldn't be a very social person right you know if 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 i was in here and not caring what anybody else thought of me i could be really antisocial mm. and and destroy relationships that i could have otherwise made and um and then i'm not going to fare very well if i'm not able to maintain relationships and so there are opinions that matter some matter more than others. And I think it's all about that, is working out um, whose opinions do I value? Yeah. Um, and and how can I then manage the, the discomfort if those people whose opinions I value disapprove of me or mm. criticize me in some way? Um, and then there's a whole set of skills around, you know, managing criticism and things like that and recognizing that it, it comes from some, you know, another person and it's personal yeah. to them. Do you, do you get any, any hate on the internet? Is that something that you've got? Oh, I feel like I need to touch wood now because so far, <laughs> so so far, so good. I mean, it's not been, uh, there's, you get the odd weird comment that, yeah. that feels sort of strange, but um, not not a huge amount. Um, not anything that has caused me to think, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't really know why. Maybe it's luck. Um, maybe it's also because it's quite a niche um, 
subject mm. that people are coming and sort of hitting follow because they they want that kind of information mm. um so yeah it's been a really lovely kind of community actually and and even people that kind of get into the comments support each other yeah. and and come up with different bits of advice for each other and help and stuff which is really really nice um but it, it does make you vulnerable doesn't it putting content out there and i i you know hats off to anyone who has the courage to to make some form of content and put it out into the world because it's not it's not easy it makes you feel vulnerable and anxious and um it's, it doesn't feel safe to do it sometimes mm. you know yeah were you were, were you ever concerned about what your friends and family would think when you started being a tiktoker oh hugely so i think i probably had about about 100,000 followers on TikTok before I even told my family or anyone that I was doing. And I don't think I even told them. I think my husband told them at Christmas one year um, that we were doing this thing. And um, and I just hated telling anyone I knew. I hated, I didn't want to, you know, tell other professionals that I knew because of the sort of professional judgment side. Um, but actually there's loads of therapists and psychologists now that are all online mm. and doing something similar, which is great. Um, uh, and you know my family kind of get it a bit more now um, whereas it's a really difficult thing to explain at the beginning isn't it so I'm putting these videos on the internet yeah what um, but now that it's a thing yeah. it's yeah a bit easier to kind of explain how about you did you find it difficult to kind of share what you were doing with family or colleagues and stuff in the early days yeah so when I when I first started it was like doing doing vlogs of my medical school elective and so I, I, would, I would post a link in our family whatsapp group uh, but I didn't post anything on Facebook where I, where I had, I, where all my friends were until like kind of 30, 30 videos in. And I was like, oh, hey guys, you know, I did a thing. I, I made, made these videos about my elective. Check it out if you want. As a very kind of, <laughs> and then I, I did not post anything at all on Facebook from that point onwards. Because I was like, you know what? A, I still feel a bit cringe about this. And B, this is not like, my friends on Facebook are not the people I'm targeting with this content. And to this day, whenever someone says that, oh, I actually watched your video, I always feel like, oh, hello. Because <laughs> I just don't, uh, the, 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 the sort of people I'm talking to are not the people that are like my friends or people older than me. It's very much people, people younger than me, kind of myself when like five years ago, yeah. that kind of stuff. So it, it always feels flattering when people actually find stuff helpful. I don't know if you have that yeah. at all. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And because it's still, um, when it's all online and there's this little number of sort of views and things like mm. that, there's a sense that it's not really real. Um, but when a, a real person comes up to you and says, oh, I watched your videos and that was really helpful. There's yeah. this sort of, oh, oh, yes, <laughs> yeah, that did person. go out yeah. to the world, didn't it? <laughs> uh, and then that sort of moment of vulnerability of, oh, God, people actually saw that. <laughs> um, I think that's a great place to, to end this. I'd love to end with a few kind of rapid fiery type questions. Okay. Um, the, the questions will, will be rapid, but the answers certainly don't have to be. So I'd, I'd, I'd love for you to elaborate. So if we start with a quick fire question. So um, what, what advice would you give to your younger self? Uh, just keep doing everything you normally do because um, yes, I made mistakes along the way and I did things that I would do differently now, but they got me to where I am now. So I think there's a recognition at this point in my life that you can make, you have to make your mistakes along the way. You have to because you then learn from them and they make you who you are. And, and you know, you, I think you learn about how strong you can be by going through really tough times. Nice. So, um, yeah, I think I, it would be just just keep going. It turns out all right. <laughs> uh, next question: yeah. Who is who would you say has had the biggest influence on your career? Part of me wants to say um, my parents because they mm. I was the first person in my family to go to university, 
and you know they they didn't have huge amounts of money so they worked really really hard to give me that opportunity so that I could go um but I guess since that time since sort of qualifying and um you know being a psychologist probably my husband actually because he, he sort of you know said well why don't you try private practice and why don't you try and make a youtube video and mm. why don't you try to go on tiktok <laughs> and you know all of those things so actually um where i probably would have kept myself contained and and done you know a single thing mm. he's always gone go on try that try that try that, and here we are <laughs> <laughs> um what is one tip for someone looking for success uh i would say it depends what success you're looking for Ooh, because yeah the idea of success is different for different people and yeah. nice and i suppose that comes back to sort of living in alignment with your values yeah yeah um, i would say yeah maybe maybe then the tip is you know work out what success means to you and then start doing research on how to live in line with that um what does the first and last hour of your day look like oh gosh um so the first hour of the day is um is getting everybody myself and three small children out of the house in time for school which starts at 8 30 so um lots of rushing around grabbing cereal bowls getting people dressed brushing everyone's teeth and all you know just this constant um go 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 Mm. go in the morning um so no time for those sort of idyllic, you know, yoga sessions or meditation yeah, and all that. Five AM meditation. <laughs> you know, everyone get on board in the mornings, and then the last hour of the day, we're usually making videos and things like that. So mm. get to the point where I'm kind of losing my voice or yeah. just cannot bear to do anymore, nice. and then um, yeah, kind of wrapping up on videos and stuff. The, the whole rushing to get the kids out of the house it, is that fun? No, (laughs) no, no. I mean, it can be, yeah, Yeah. it can be. But, you know, when you've got a deadline and you have three small humans that have no concept of deadlines Mm. and no real rush to be anywhere, um, you you know, there's a sense when you're really young that that if something needs to happen, mum will make it happen. And and so, Mm. you know, teaching young children that that if you need to get to school on time, we we have to get dressed right now. So put the Lego down, you know, this is sort of... Mm. um, So... It's not always fun. No, I'm not going to kind of try and create that image that yeah. mums should be having fun in the morning. <laughs> Did you consider homeschooling the kids, like, permanently? Um, not really. After lockdown, yeah. that experience was really, really tough in oh, terms okay. of um, they're all different ages. You know, I've got three different ages, three different sets of needs, very young. Um, you know, hats off to anyone who does permanent homeschooling. What a challenge that must be. You know, you have to be so on board with the best techniques for learning yeah. and how to engage them because if they're not engaged, they're just not. Um, and, and actually, I realized how much they missed from school, not in terms of academics, but in terms of social experience and being okay. with their friends, you know, and you, you learn so much from school. I think by just being around other kids mm. and learning how to relate to other people and and build friendships and maintain <laughs> friendships there's so much of that that is so good about school I think what is a sort of physical thing that's maybe under 100 pounds that you couldn't live without maybe my um the light that I use for my, to make oh, my videos one of those, like, light things <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah. yeah, given that half of our videos are made at sort of 11 o'clock at night yeah. when uh, I'm looking really <laughs> ropey and tired you know nice. it's just it really helps so probably that nice. um what book would you recommend to anyone uh, other than yours other course. than my own yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um 
I struggle with this. I started a, like a little book club on my Instagram because oh. there are so I have so many books mm. and so many that I would recommend, but they're all for different things. You know, yeah. they're all for different problems or concerns. So, um, but actually, for anyone doing any kind of sort of creative endeavor, the the one that I read a lot that was a recommendation from your channel mm. when I was writing was I, I'm going to get the title now, wrong now, but it's the War of Art, isn't it? Oh yeah, yes, yeah, so they were just brilliant. Nice, really brilliant. Um, Let's say um, you lose everything, like all the followers and all the money and all the clout and fame and stuff. What would you be doing if you didn't have all that stuff? Would you try and rebuild or would you kind of do something else? What's the... I, I, would, I would focus on being a mom, I think. Because okay. that's something that has been really difficult for me is balancing that. Yeah. And, and a lot of the time I've been doing this really exciting stuff and it's been fantastic. But I have felt along the way that it's pulling me, you know, it's been a real balance of, I want to be with the children. I want to be very present with the children. Mm. And, but there are all these fantastic opportunities that I need to, to you know, be my best for. Um, so it's been a sort of always a tightrope of balancing that. So... Um, I'd probably sort of pull right back and go for the simple life. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I find that this is, well, a lot, a lot of people say like when, when, when you've been doing something for a while, then you sort of then want to pull in the other direction and yeah. th get that, that kind of balance back. Yeah, I think it's really tough when you're sort of working and running a family that you, you're constantly in a rush. So I like the idea at the moment of sort of simplicity. Um, but obviously, you know, you always have to sort of earn and keep a roof over everyone's yeah. heads and stuff so there is that um but yeah i'd probably go for probably back to my therapy room do yeah. a few hours in there and then okay. and then make dinner for my children yeah really simple so you, like when i speak to creators we often kind of joke about the whole like yeah well you know i've got to i've got to put bread on the table type thing usually people are way beyond the point where they actually have to worry about putting bread on the table and I, i've certainly found that the but i need to put bread on the table it becomes a sort of untested assumption for just chasing more and more and more. Um, do you think about that at all? Like I do, yeah. yeah. And, at, and, at one point, is enough enough kind of thing? Yeah, when is it enough? <laughs> yeah. And and you certainly because it's been a massive life change for me as well. That you know, I've always been doing all the values stuff in the book, thinking about well, you know, what am I and and am I in line with that? Because a lot of the time, I've felt like it's pulling me away from my values yeah. because I you know I structured my career so that I could be really present as a mom and. Yeah. And every time it pulls me, I think, oh, no, I want to be here or I want to be there. And, yeah. But that's a great opportunity. And it's always a balancing act, isn't it? And I think it's always about checking in and seeing if if I want to pull back in this direction. You know, at the moment, I'm I'm taking a day back to um, take my youngest son to swimming lessons and things and take him to little clubs that I did with my other children. And, and um, so just taking little choices and actions that help you to kind of come back to something that feels more um, more meaningful. Nice. That's pretty good. Um, what quote or mantra do you live by? Do you, know, I, do you know, I was such a hoarder of quote, quotes when I was at university <laughs> yeah. the first time. I used to have these little notebooks where I stored little quotes and things like that, and I don't really do it anymore. But um, I guess you've got Instagram, and there's just full of them, isn't it? Mm. Um, so I don't really have a set one. I guess it's like when, no. when you've got so many in your head, it's hard to like call them. Yeah. Up. It's like the, the, the book recommendation question. I find it really hard to recommend yes. books. It's like, oh, it just... Tell me more about your problems and then, and then I'll prescribe you a book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love finding a really powerful quote at the right time, yeah. you know, that really resonates at the time, but different resonate, d different quotes resonate at different times. Yeah. So um, I don't really have one that I live by forever and ever. Nice. Um, and finally, journey or destination? 
journey. Nice. Everyone says that. Maya asks, how do you overcome the feeling of being never enough? You know, there's a whole chapter on this in the book, actually, um, about sort of self-doubt and being enough. And... Um, and, and I think you, I think you've done videos, haven't you, before on sort of self-sabotage, uh, not self-sabotage, sorry, on imposter syndrome and, and that idea of kind of getting into a situation and not being enough. And I think feeling that occasionally because you're stepping into a new environment is normal, mm -hmm. isn't it? If you're trying something new, you're out of your comfort zone, it's scary, you're worried about not being enough, that would be natural and human and uh, allows you to kind of feel a bit stressed and alert that allows you to kind of step up to it. Yeah. If you feel it all the time, I would say sometimes that can be quite a complex issue. So um, it's worth breaking down and, and really kind of um, understanding where it's come from, how it plays out in your day-to-day -day life. So how you behave in line with that or how you reconfirm it with some of the things, some of the choices that you make or behaviors that you do. Um, and then because it becomes then a whole process of breaking some of those patterns because you you can't convince yourself you're enough by just telling yourself you're enough your brain works on evidence yeah. which is action you have to you have to create evidence with action so you start to feel enough when you start to behave as if you're enough and um, and by that i mean it might mean holding boundaries better you know and and not sort of so people pleasing for example or um you know it might be looking after your health more or whatever that thing is yeah. you know there's probably a whole host of things um and that's why those things can be really helpful to work out in therapy because is complex and it's long it's a life practice so if you've spent i don't know how old that person is but if you spent the last 20 years of your life not feeling enough it's not going to change overnight. Yeah. It's going to take time. So, you know. Uh, so Hans says, what, what, is, what are some of the best ways to cure burnout? Um, so the thing about burnout and stress is that, you know, stress can be good for us. It helps us to perform, helps us to stay alert and all those things, but it's made to be short term. So, um, you know, that, that, that burnout is really your body saying, enough already, I need a rest. And so the, really the only way to stop it from, con you know, I think the tendency is to experience burnout, then take some huge break mm. and be sort of, you know, have a big, you know, a couple of months off, um, go on holiday, whatever, feel better, and then go back to life as it was. And then you're going to have the same thing again. So I think it has to be a consistent replenishment. If, if you're putting stress on your body and your mind it needs to get something back for that it needs replenishment so you know you you have to structure your life in a way that gives you enough rest to replenish otherwise burnout will happen at some point yeah i really like that like i think a, lo a lot of people decide i'm going to go on a holiday for two weeks and then i'll be cured but then they go straight back into that pattern and yeah yeah, yeah. and and there again a lot of it is that pressure isn't it yeah. to constantly be productive or constantly be doing something or earning something on that kind of thing and i mean how do you manage it with you know I, this stuff could go on forever right mm. you could spend 24 hours a day here how do you replenish mm. i um usually like to leave here by six or at least not have anything in the evening so that I can like hang out with friends. And yeah. I know that for me, what I need to do is schedule stuff in that I feel bad breaking a, com a commitment to. So for example, if it's a dinner with friends, like today I've got something co someone coming over to my place for dinner at 9 p.m. So at least I have to be done by 9 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's a commitment that I have to take. Um, I'm also trying to figure out like, can I, can I take kickboxing lessons 
or join a kickboxing club that starts at 6 p.m. on a weekday to force me to leave here at 6 p.m. on a weekday. Yeah. Um, because I think one of the issues with like, like all, all of this stuff is just so much fun. And when you're having fun, it's so easy to just like keep on doing it because it still feels fun and doesn't feel like work. Yeah. But I've been realizing recently that like taking a step back from that and actually thinking, you know what? The videos are still going to be there tomorrow. Nothing in this business is life and death. No one cares if a video is delayed or if we don't put out a newsletter or, or whatever. And actually being okay to take the foot off the gas in terms of consistency. Yeah. Um, that's been really helpful in sort of feeling better about this whole, all of this stuff. Yeah. It's um, that trusting that it's, it won't all disappear yeah. if you take a day off or, yeah. yeah. Trusting that it's all good. Like the channel's growing even when we don't post out videos. So let's just stop posting Great. videos. So do you, <laughs> do you take days off? Do you have like weekends off or anything? Do you go? Um, I don't think of them as like days off. Um, because there's always like stuff going on. Yeah. It's really nice. Like, you know, when I came back to, back from Pakistan a few days ago, it was a Sunday afternoon and I had nothing to do for the rest of the day. That was so nice. I like cleaned the house, did the laundry, <laughs> cleaned the bathroom for the first time in a month. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's little stuff like that. And then I invited a friend over for a takeaway. So I, I want to have more of those kind of lazy afternoons. But then I always think that. And then an opportunity will arise. Someone will email me who's like some angel investor investing in the creator economy. Oh, that's kind of cool. Let's hang out. And then all of a sudden the social calendar is now booked up again. So it's a, it's a balancing act. Yeah. It's, it's a good problem to have. Yeah. I, I guess it's kind of the same with you. When you have so many opportunities coming your way, it's, it's like you want to say yes to a lot of things. Um, and it's that balance between actually making time for yourself as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's the idea, isn't it? Is never putting yourself under the pressure to do it perfectly. Mm. It's just a balance. And as long as you're aware that it's a balance, then you can just check in and see when is it out of balance and when do I need to kind of redirect and take some time back and stuff. Nice. Um, oh, we've got a question from Twitter from Nuno Bello, who says, how would someone strike a balance with welcoming feedback um, while also and being exposed while also trying not to be consumed by other people's opinions um it's tricky isn't it because you kind of we were talking about earlier um working out whose opinions matter most to you i mean criticism always stings mm. doesn't it if somebody you know even someone you don't know in the street yeah. says something um disapproving or criticizing it's gonna hurt it's not mm. pleasant um because we're social beings so we're made to feel that but um, I think it can really help to get clarity on whose opinions matter most and, and being able to, to recognize that you, you can't please everyone. Yeah. So if, if you've got your set of values right, uh, clear, so that you know why you do what you do, and then recognizing that some people will like that, some people won't, and that's okay. Yeah. So, you know, you if you set your sort of life so that you are trying to be approved of by everybody all of the time you're going to feel like a failure pretty quick yeah um because you're human nice Ooh, we've got tintin smith who asks uh what's the psychology of research behind having a defined purpose or calling or why i'm torn between the simon Sinek school of thought that we all should have a why and how we can all have one clear definable why um and the other side of it, which is that we're, we're actually not evolved to have a single defined need. Uh, what would love to hear your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think uh, coming from the sort of acceptance and commitment therapy stuff, I tend to go with, you know, life is layered and complex and you have different aspects of your life and the values in those different aspects will be different. Yeah. So I, I think I probably tend to go for the lots of whys in lots yeah. of areas. Nice. Um, 
rather than that kind of really narrow focus but it's different for everybody yeah yeah that's kind of the way that i, I approach it as well if I, if I think what's my number one calling in life i'm like i don't know yeah. but if i think kind of roughly what i want in each of these different domains like the wheel of life and all this stuff then i think okay i, I have more of an idea of potentially what yeah. a, a good life looks like yeah connor says what's been your favorite experience as a result of you blowing up on tiktok my favorite experience this is one of them oh. being here <laughs> of course um favorite experience god what have we done um gotta try and think now so it's it's just bizarre actually you know from some someone who was um sat in therapy room every day and seeing one person at a time to go to sort of wild events and and wild events but um (laughs) things like (laughs) yeah i mean things like i mean i was included in the the female lead book um this year um sort of recognizing different sort of females that are um shaping the future apparently mm. um and so to go to an event like that where there were lots of really inspiring people who are doing incredible things was amazing um so doing this you know it's i think it's meeting all these incredible people who have brilliant stories and they're doing really interesting stuff and and having such a reach it's really i mean it is probably yeah meeting all the different people and stuff yeah love it all right julie thank you so much for coming on um for having me. Link, links to the book which is coming out soon January the 6th. January the 6th. And we're putting this out once the book is out, right, Amber? Cool. So it's out now. The the book is now out. (laughs) So that'll be linked in the video description. And we will put an image up on screen because we don't have a physical copy just yet. Yeah. And I can't wait to get it in my hands to stick it on our little bookshelf. Um, It's going to feature prominently in our backgrounds. Next to Elon Musk. Next to Elon Musk. (laughs) Yep, exactly. (laughs) It's going to be great. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Any any final messages, parting wisdom to share with the audience? Uh, No, just um, thanks so much. and, And... yeah what a great great experience thank you all right thanks all right so that's it for this week's episode of deep dive thank you so much for watching or listening all the links and resources that we mentioned in the podcast are going to be linked down in the video description or in the show notes depending on where you're watching or listening to this if you're listening to this on a podcast platform then do please leave us a review on the itunes store it really helps other people discover the podcast or if you're watching this in full hd or 4k on youtube then you can leave a comment down below and ask any questions or any insights or any thoughts about the episode that would be awesome so yeah thank you very much for listening i'll catch you hopefully in the next episode